0: Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey, as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self-hatred For a chance at belief? Welcome again to the first episode of the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan. I'm a clinical psychologist, co founder of Artisan Clinical Associates in Naperville, Illinois. I'm a blogger, I'm an author, but even more importantly, I'm your fellow journeyman. And here on this podcast, we're going to journey together once a week for the next year as we sort through what it means to be human, to be fundamentally worthy, to forget that we are, and finally to remember it once again. I'm excited to tell you all about this podcast, how it's going to work, and what you can expect. But before we jump right into talking about the details, my 14-year-old son Aiden, who's even more of a podcast junkie than I am, says I need to tell you a little bit about myself. He also says, though, that I should keep it to 10 minutes, so start your stopwatches, and here we go. I now know that I came into the world with a quiet soul, sort of shy, introspective, thoughtful, sensitive, easily affected by the reactions and the emotions of others, in a word, pretty vulnerable, I felt a little alien in a culture of tough athletic boys, I felt my parents' disappointments when they happened really deeply and I took them to heart. I changed schools three times by the fourth grade and as someone who made friends slowly I felt lonely all the time and I sort of assumed the loneliness was my fault. I was bullied and had no idea how to respond, Um, and on the first day of middle school I remember a kid who I just met shouted out across the lunchroom comparing the fat on my chest to the size of his mother's chest. And I think in that moment, my shame was complete. I wanted to crawl into a hole that day. And in a way I did, uh, I started crawling into a hole that is called the false self. Now, what do I mean by the false self? The false self is something I write about extensively and lovable. And so it's something we're gonna talk about a lot on this podcast as we work through the companion book. Uh, basically, this is how we human beings work. We're born into the world with the true self. We didn't create it, it was created for us. It is beautifully and wonderfully made. It has a spark of the divine burning at the center of it and is more than good enough however at some point in life we encounter the shameful message that our true self is not good enough as we come to believe that this is true we feel compelled to build a false self this is the self that's created by us and with the goal of proving to the world that we're good enough that we belong that we matter and so on now we can create our false self out of all sorts of things money status uh, fashion weight loss, jobs, houses, sex, people-pleasing, deception, uh, knocking others down to build ourselves up. I mean, I could go on and on. Uh, And even though I don't think I could articulate it at the time, somewhere along the way what I decided to do is build my false self out of two pieces of paper. A marriage license and a diploma. What I mean by that is that I decided if I wasn't worthy on the inside, I'd go out into the world and find a relationship to make me feel worthy. And through my accomplishments like getting a a doctoral degree i'd do something to prove my worthiness to everyone so in 1995 i left my small town in dixon illinois i set out for college at the university of illinois at urbana-champaign and i set about uh, that journey of trying to prove i was worthy by by accomplishing certain things in the world Um, so i graduated from the u of i in 1999 I went on to um, graduate school at Penn State in the fall of 1999. I met my wife there about five hours in. Uh, her name is also Kelly Flanagan. She was also in the doctoral program. Uh, I often joke that I overcame great odds to marry her because she wrote wrote home to her mother pretty quickly that she'd met this guy who seemed pretty great, but his name was Kelly, and so it couldn't work out. And uh, so I. Uh, somehow I won her over. And uh, we ended up getting married while in graduate school in 2001. We had our first child, Aiden, in 2003. And uh, by 2005, we had been placed back in Chicago to complete our doctoral residencies. Um, And I remember a day, it was probably like February of 2005, because I remember it was sort of cold and icy and snowy. We were living in a third-story walk-up apartment near the train tracks in the suburbs. Um, My wife was commuting into the city, and I was uh, commuting a little further into the suburbs um, to uh, a VA hospital. Anyways, I remember walking out of the house one morning and leaning my forehead against the cold brick across from the the door and saying to myself, I can't do this anymore. Uh, And what I meant was I can't continue to keep up this act. I can't continue to make everybody happy. I can't continue to impress everybody. I can't continue um, to keep chasing these accomplishments as a way of feeling good about myself. It's exhausting me. Um, Now, it took me about three more years to finally face my false self and my shame and begin to reconnect with my true self. Um, That moment happened in my life on a marine base, and I write about this a little bit in Lovable. It was the summer of 2008. For most of my life, I'd been hearing this voice inside, and I assumed the voice was God, and it always said something like this, Kelly, I'm disappointed in you. You can do better than this. Then one morning on the Marine base in 2008, I heard another voice inside of me, the voice I now call the voice of grace, and it said simply, Kelly, I'm especially fond of you. I always have been. You are my beloved on whom my favor rests. After that, my healing, which is to say my rediscovering of my true self, really accelerated, but it still took me more than three years to begin to feel like a, a true sense of freedom from my shame and some real clarity about who I was. During that time, I started applying some of these ideas in my therapy practice, the things that I was learning in myself and through my own journey, and I went through a process of discovering which principles were unique to me. It's funny, my my wife will often say when I... I I show her a new blog post and I, I sort of make the assertion and that something that I experienced is universal she'll look at me and she'll be like no that's that's just you dude not everybody feels that way not everyone experiences that so I was going through this process of discerning what which parts of these experiences are unique to me and which are universal truths about the way we human beings work and heal trying to clarify which was which Um, In the fall of 2011, I was working with a successful businessman on issues related to his own shame and insecurity, and he was actually beginning to heal. And I remember he came in one day and he said, uh, he said, Kelly, you only see like 30 people a week tops. Imagine how much money you could be making if you reach more people with these ideas. And I I remember sort of affirming his entrepreneurial sense and saying, you know, um, um, gotcha, I, I hear you. Um... I'm impressed by the way that you think as a businessman. And then he came in the next week and he said the same thing. And the next week he said the same thing. And then several weeks down the road, he came in with a particular twinkle in his eye. And he looked at me and he said, he said, Kelly, imagine how many people you could help if you found a way to reach more people. And I smiled back at him. I said, well, now you're you're talking my language. Uh, And so that was in the fall of 2011. And in January of 2012, I started my blog. So I started publishing blog posts weekly, uh, and then in March 2012, I think it was my ninth blog post, a blog post entitled Marriages for Losers, suddenly it started to get a lot of attention. Uh, My email list began to grow, and I started to get a little more serious about this blogging thing and this writing thing. Uh, And then it was about a year later, in April of 2013, I, given some things that happened in our life, I, I got sort of... Um, intensely inspired to write a letter to my daughter, Caitlin, who was three at the time. And I did so, and uh, not with the intention of putting it on my blog, but I read it to my wife and she said, I think people would need to read this. And, and so I, I published it to my blog, by far the most personal thing I'd written on the blog at that point. And, uh, and it went viral uh, in a way that I had not experienced before. And then about a year later after that, in February, 2014, I wrote a second letter to Caitlin about her inner beauty. And that letter went so viral, she and I ended up on the Today Show, which was a totally surreal experience. Um, But after that, you know, you you get on the Today Show and um, some connections start to happen. And I was fortunate to get paired up with a uh, a really wise, seasoned literary agent um, to work on writing my first book. And I remember uh, in one of our first chats, you know, she said to me, Kelly, uh, people are really responding to these letters that you write to your kids. Maybe you should write a book on parenting. And so I went home and I, I said to my wife, um, you know, Kathy thinks that I should write a book on, on parenting. And she, again, my wife, um, you never have to wonder what she's thinking. She says, uh, you've got no business writing a book uh, on parenting. And she was right. She's the child psychologist. I'm the adult psychologist. Um, and you got no business writing a book on parenting. But we got to talking. Well, then what, yeah, what is it about these letters that are, are resonating with people? and what we began to realize is that the main response i was getting from folks was not you know oh i'm going to save this letter and read it to my kids someday what i was hearing from folks was i needed to hear these words i needed this letter there's a little kid in me who still needed to be reminded that he or she is good enough that that he or she is not alone that he or she matters um, and so what I decided to do was to write a book that at one level was a love letter to my children, but at a, a totally different level was a love letter to the little kid in me, who still needs to hear those things, and the little kid in all of us who still needs to hear those things. So we got to working on on the book and, and trying to, to formulate what I wanted to say in that, that extended love letter. And uh, I remember one phone call with Kathy, she, she said to me, she said, you keep sending me these three ideas, worthiness, purpose, and belonging. Why these three ideas? And I said, well, no, no, it's not worthiness, purpose, and belonging. It's worthiness, then belonging, and then purpose. That's, that's the order in which we grow and in which we truly heal and in which we are emotionally and psychologically and spiritually formed. And she said, now that's, that's something you need to write a book about. Uh, and so that sort of became the premise of Lovable, that having encountered shame and beginning to believe that who we are is not good enough, that we go on an outward journey trying to seek a sense of worth in our relationships and our accomplishments and all these these outer things. When in reality, the only way to reconnect with our sense of worthiness is to take an interior journey, to go inward and reconnect with that little one inside of us, uh, to rediscover our true self, to embrace our worthiness um, and reconnect with those parts of us. Um, And only then, once we have done those things, now we go out into the world And we live our relationships not as an effort to feel worthy, but as an expression of the worthiness we already experience. Our relationships become much more peaceful, much less of a a disappointment, um, and much more just an expression of love and worthiness. And then we also go out in the world and we do the things that we love to do. We don't feel compelled to do them in extraordinary ways. We don't feel like our worth is on the line. We do them simply because that's what our soul loves to do. Um, And so that became the, the idea behind lovable. By the way, in the midst of writing Lovable, my wife and I were going through our own process of embracing our our true self and, and healing and embracing our worthiness, and uh, shortly after I signed a contract to write Lovable, we uh, sort of turned our life upside down. We, we realized that we weren't doing exactly what we were passionate about doing, um, and so my wife quit her tenured position at a, uh, a liberal arts school. And... I quit my position at the practice where I'd been practicing, and we moved out of the suburbs and back to that little town that I thought I needed to leave in order to, to be good enough. I thought I needed to leave it and go find my worthiness out in the world. Well, once we found it within ourselves, we decided we could move back to that town and that we actually valued the idea of doing so. And so my wife uh, then began to do what she's always been passionate about, which is providing services to, to an underserved population that usually doesn't get access to quality mental health care. Um, and I got to do what I love to do, which is I opened up my own therapy practice, and then I had time set aside to, to work on this book, which I was so passionate about. So that's what we did in the midst of writing Lovable. Now, as I was writing Lovable, I became aware that reading it would awaken all sorts of experiences in people. And indeed, that's that's what has happened. I get emails and messages every day from people who tell me they, you know, they have to put the book down for a while just to let themselves feel what's stirring up in them. Uh, And so I decided to write a second book, a companion book, that would pick up where Lovable left off. Um, It's called The Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, and it contains 52 weekly readings and exercises intended to cultivate the experiences that begin to happen within you uh, when you're reading Lovable. I offered this book digitally to folks who pre-ordered Lovable as a way of saying thank you for taking a chance on this first-time author. And... uh, I hope that it will one day be officially available in paperback, but for now, this companion book will only be available in audio form through this podcast, and I'm thrilled to bring it to you in this way. So let me explain briefly how this podcast will work, and then we'll get right into the introduction chapter of the companion book. So though this first episode is just me, after this introductory episode, each of the 52 episodes after it will feature a conversation between my readers and me about the weekly reading and the weekly practice. Those conversations will happen on Facebook Live prior to the episode, and then the audio from those Facebook Live sessions will be folded into this podcast. I don't know of any other podcast that has integrated these two technologies in this way, Uh, and so I've been thinking of it as a modern form of like an old radio call-in show uh, where the host gets to interact with with listeners, Um, but one reader recently described it in an even better way. It's like a global book club, Uh, so welcome to the first Worldwide Book Club. Um, I've been hosting Facebook live sessions with my readers for almost six months in this way following each of my weekly blog posts and the conversations you know they've been engaging wise meaningful you get all these wonderful people they're coming together to think about and discuss the same ideas Um, so I feel like it's sort of a revolutionary thing we're doing in social media where you're supposed to, to click and scroll we're saying let's hunker down in this idea let's go deeply into it together and see, see what wisdom that we can call from it together that we wouldn't be able to do on our own. Um, so I have no doubt that our conversations about the companion book will be just as helpful for everyone involved. Um, so if you want to stick around, at the end of this episode, I'll tell you how you can be a part of those conversations if you're interested. Okay, so now without further ado, and I think I might have exceeded Aiden's 10-minute limit, so my apologies. Without further ado, let's get into the introduction to Lovable's companion book, The Year of Listening, Loving, and Living. The year of listening, loving, and living. Becoming your truest you, one week at a time. Before we begin. 525,600 minutes. How do you measure, measure a year? In daylights, in sunsets, in midnights, in cups of coffee. In inches, in miles, in laughter, in strife. In 525,600 minutes. How do you measure a year in the life? How about love? Seasons of love from the Broadway musical, Rent. How do you measure a year? Recently, I talked to a frustrated woman who'd been reading through her journal entries from the past year. She told me her entries from a year ago closely resembled her entries from a week ago. Despite her many efforts to grow and change, she found herself approximately where she started. This is how life goes, isn't it? We have good intentions, people we want to become, love we want to give, and lives we want to live. But life just sort of gets away from us. One second, one minute, one hour, one day, and one week at a time. It slips by in a flurry of hurry, a deluge of distractions, and sometimes a painful paralysis. We give all of our blood, sweat, and tears to shaping our lives into something that feels peaceful, yet in the end, our lives feel piecemeal. What if the next year could be different? And what if the secret to it being different wasn't all that mysterious? What if the difference in your next year is the difference between having good intentions and having good intentionality? What if the key to living your life to the fullest is not living each day as if it's your last, but living each week with clarity and with focus? And what if the focus of each week progressed in an order specifically designed so those weeks will add up to you becoming your truest you? In other words, what if you made your next year the year of listening, loving, and living? The library books are overdue. In our house, that's no small concern. My kids are obsessed with books. When the monthly book orders come home from school, they pour over them and circle the books they want as if pouring over a toy catalog and constructing a list for Santa. The book order forms are like Christmas, and the library is like Halloween, where a stranger who acts kind and seems really interested in them distributes free and seemingly infinite delights. We go tricker booking frequently. When we do... The kids want to gorge themselves, so, like Halloween candy, we've set a limit to the number of books they can consume. They are each allowed to check out 10 books per visit. Yet with three kids, that's still a lot of books, and a lot of dimes each day they're overdue. So realizing they're overdue, I ask my wife where I can find them. She says she thinks they're already in her car. I make a mental note to check the minivan before she leaves. But I forget. Now the kids are home from school, they want to get their next library fix, and I want to minimize the damage to my wallet. We pile into my car, drive to my wife's office, and dig through the debris field that is our minivan. Amidst the carnage, I find a shoe that had gone missing, a desiccated apple core, and a weird purple puddle that was probably a crayon before the summer heat melted it into molten color. But the books are nowhere to be found. So we return her keys, clamber back into my car, and head home, preparing to search the house with a fine-tooth comb. However, we don't need the comb because as soon as I open the door, I see the books immediately. Actually, I don't see the books, I see the bag, a repurposed grocery bag that has seen better days, in which all of the books have been collected. They've been sitting there in the entryway all day. I'd walked past them countless times, probably even looking directly at them, but never actually seeing them. Having been told the treasures I was looking for were somewhere else, I'd failed to see what was right in front of me. Our worthiness is like those library books. On the outside, our bodies often feel like that old repurposed library bag banged up, worn, torn, frayed, and as they say, a little worse for the wear. But on the inside, on the inside, each of us is full of worthy treasures. On the inside, each of us has a soul in which a spark of the divine remains defiantly alight. This soul is our truest self, and it is brilliant, matchless. When it comes to souls, God does not lack creativity. He doesn't do repeats. On the inside, we are each our own unique and worthy version of lovable. We are each our own particular reason for delight this is our truest identity yet somewhere along the way that identity goes missing like a bunch of beloved library books or rather like a bunch of beloved library books we think it does inevitably we human beings encounter this thing called shame it's the message that who we are isn't good enough not lovable enough and it comes to us in limitless guises in the tired sigh of a weary parent in the quiet loneliness of an empty cafeteria table, in a friend who quits talking to us or a schoolyard bully who starts talking at us, in the rebuke of a frustrated teacher, in the low grades on the report card or the high-pitched conflict in our parents' marriage. It's the message advertised on the billboards of a global culture telling us we still haven't done enough or bought enough to be good enough. Eventually, this shame message becomes our core belief about who we are. And over time, like a bunch of treasured library books, We believe our true self has gone missing. Until one day, we realize we are overdue to find ourselves once again. So we start asking, who am I? How can I find my place in the world? What am I here to do? Then the voices of shame around us, and inside of us, send us on a wild goose chase. Now I realize here in the metaphor I've equated my wife who encouraged me to look for the library books in the minivan with shame. All I can say is it is not easy to be married to a writer. Shame whispers, you become lovable when you're loved by the right people. You will be delightful when you delight everyone else. You are nothing until you do something. You find your worth by proving your worth. Your life will be magnificent when you've accomplished something magnificent. And so our lives become one long search of a chaotic minivan as we scour the debris field of life for a self we can treasure. We search for our true self in the right relationship or the right crowd of people or a spectacular achievement. When we're making progress in these areas of life, we begin to hope we're good enough. And when we experience setbacks, we become certain we are not. Then we start searching again. Meanwhile, our true self is right under our nose, just waiting to be found. Just waiting to be seen once again. In psychology, there are many models of identity formation. Each of them explores how our identities are formed throughout the lifespan, based upon an interplay of genetics, environmental influences, cultural factors, and so on. The word formation suggests the creation of something out of nothing, as if each of us is born a vacant plot of land and it is up to our parents, pastors, peers, and teachers to construct a new person upon it. Then, according to these models, when we enter adulthood, we take over the construction project and continue building our own identity. For a while, as a psychologist, I thought that's how it worked. I thought it took a lot of hard work to build who we are. But then I actually started listening to my clients. They didn't say, I want to build who I am. They said something very different. I want to figure out who I am. Not I want to construct myself. Rather, I want to find myself. That sounded a lot less like assembling and a lot more like discovering. Slowly, it dawned on me. Becoming who we are isn't about identity formation. It's about identity excavation. The truth is, who we actually are, who we've been from the beginning, when we arrived in the world as soul and fleshed, remains buried inside of us, neglected and forgotten. Meanwhile, with the voice of shame urging us on, we keep toiling away on our identity formation. It's time to quit toiling. It's time to quit overlooking the collection of treasures that is you. It's time, finally, to focus on something besides identity formation, because there is no such thing as identity formation. There is only identity recognition, Identity Revelation and Identity Resurrection. Listening. Identity Recognition. Whereas shame tells us we must search far and wide for our true self, the reality is our truest, worthiest self has been with us all along, just waiting to be seen. So, becoming our truest self doesn't begin with more searching outside of us for an identity. It starts by slowing down, seeing who we truly are, and settling into the identity that has been with us from the beginning. In other words, becoming who you are is first and foremost about identity recognition. These are the months of listening. During these months, you will first begin to slow down, rest, and create space for mindful reflection. Then, you will cultivate awareness of how shame has shaped your story, and how consequently you've searched for your true self outside of yourself, rather than within yourself. You will learn to recognize the voice of shame within you and around you, and you will begin to listen to a different voice within you. I call this the voice of grace, and it emanates from your truest self. In other words, during these months, you won't have to work harder to become who you are. You'll only need to listen more closely. The exercises during these months will cultivate your ability to look inward for your identity rather than outward, while listening for the voice of grace which is always and endlessly calling you lovable and beloved. Loving Identity revelation Love is complicated, isn't it? We long for it and work for it, and yet we often end up hiding from it, disappointed by it, and sometimes even wounded by it. What if, though, love does not have to be as complicated as we make it? What if we complicate love by believing our relationships are where we must find our worthiness? For instance, If we believe being loved by someone will make us lovable, we will go to great and intricate lengths to get the love we seek. We will become whoever we must be in order to feel beloved, if only temporarily. We will dig through the minivan of life looking for relationships that will make us feel good enough. What if, instead, our closest relationships became a place not where we search for our truest identity, but the place where we allow it to be seen? Following the months of listening, following the recognition of who we are, come the months of loving. Once again, these months will feel less like building and more like allowing, which is a different kind of work altogether. Identity formation will give way to something else. Identity revelation. Places of true belonging in the world are not as elusive as we think they are. They are all around us, all the time. Our only task is to reveal who we truly are and then notice who enjoys the revelation. These are the people to whom we belong. At first, this can be scary. Even when you have begun to embrace your worthiness, you don't know how other people respond to your revelation. So the months of loving aren't about finding the love of your life or a perfect relationship. The months of loving are about bravery and risk. They are months of daring, during which you gradually shed the heavy burden of the false self you have been hiding behind. They are months in which the pressure to become lovable is replaced by the practice of revealing the lovable person you already know yourself to be. And they are months in which you begin to look for the lovable identity in others as well. During the months of loving, you will begin to glimpse a new vision for love and belonging, one in which you get to be who you are, and so does everyone else. Living. Identity resurrection. I want to discover my passion. This is the wish of almost every therapy client I work with, and it is a loaded wish. It is a way of saying, I want to figure out what I love to do the thing that makes my heart quicken, the thing I can get blessedly lost in, the thing that makes the days go fast, and I want to live it boldly. It is a way of saying, I want to figure out my purpose. I want to discover why I'm here. I want my life to have meaning. These are awfully big wishes, and they can easily get hijacked by our shame, which tells us that if we want to matter, we have to do something extraordinary. What if, though, you are here on this planet standing on this ground, breathing this air, and living this life simply to do the things that make you feel fully alive? What if you're here to simply be who you have recognized yourself to be by allowing your soul to express itself in the things you do? What if that is the deepest and most sacred purpose of your humanity, to be your truest you in everything you do? What if that's the way the world changes, one person at a time? In other words, what if life is not about proving your worth, but living your worth? Life is about resurrecting an identity that has been buried away. It's about rolling away the stone, getting up and walking through the walls of shame that once contained you, and along with your people, finally being fully who you have always been all along, by doing the things you've always loved but never lived. During these months of living, you will rediscover the passions you've buried away, the things you want to do in the world, and you will slowly take steps toward resurrecting who you've always been. I've written a book about looking inside, listening for the voice of grace that is whispering there, trusting we're lovable, and then and only then truly embracing our people and our passions from this place of worthiness. That book is called Lovable, and this book is a companion to it. While lovable is meant to be read all at once, this book is meant to be read slowly. The year of listening, loving, and living is not meant to be finished and then put on a bookshelf. It's meant to walk with you through your life. It's lovable with hiking boots and a walking stick prepared to journey with you each week of the next year. As you set out on this journey, you'll discover a few things about how this companion book has been laid out. First, the weeks are not marked with dates, but with numbers, because this book is meant to be read and practiced from the beginning. This is intentional, because what we've heard during our months of listening is the foundation upon which we love, and the love we find encourages us and supports us in the living of our passions. Our truest identity, if it is to be fully discovered, is best discovered in this order, Having said that, this book is not a formula. It does not contain the secret to a perfect life. It is simply a guide, suggesting that living intentionally, in a specific order, increases the odds of us fully inhabiting our truest self. Second, this is a book of weekly inspiration and practice. This too is intentional. It is difficult to cultivate any experience worth cultivating in a day. I wanted to avoid rushing you through the recognition, revelation, and resurrection of your identity, because you are worth the time it takes to go slowly and intentionally. So for the next year, begin each week with the weekly reading and with enough time to practice the short exercise that follows it. Then, throughout the week, each day, or on as many days as you can muster, return to the practice of that exercise. If you bring that kind of dedication and intentionality to the practices in these pages, I believe you will be astonished by what can happen in a single trip around the sun. Having said that, If a year of these practices still feels to you like rushing through some very tender experiences, slow down. This isn't about accomplishing. This is about becoming. Third, readers of my blog will quickly discover that while the exercises contained herein are completely original, most of the weekly readings have been previously published in some form on my blog. While lovable is almost entirely original content, this book has been curated from existing content. Yet I hope you'll also feel like you're reading it for the first time. What I mean is, in my weekly blog post, I write about whichever part of the human journey is most interesting or inspiring to me during that particular week. Some weeks I write about listening, other weeks loving, and still other weeks about living. But I write about them randomly, out of order. So in a way, this book is also an organizer. It draws a selection of my randomly ordered writings into the previously unarticulated spiritual structure out of which they originally arose. In that sense, if you've read them before, I hope you'll read them now with new eyes. Fourth, I hope this book will help to naturally answer a question I often hear from people. How do I know when it would be good for me to see a therapist? If at any point in the year you find yourself resistant to practicing one of the exercises, or if you feel stuck and unable to progress to the next week and the next exercise, this can serve as a caution, suggesting there is more complicated discovery to do than a book can offer. These are challenging exercises. Each one is a practice I have found to be helpful in my practice with therapy clients and in my own personal journey but rarely can one person practice them all without companionship if you find yourself in need of someone to walk with you i hope you'll make the call ask your friends and family for a good referral find a therapist invite a little extra companionship on that leg of your journey finally remember this is a companion book while it can be read on its own without first reading lovable the rich concepts explored herein shame worthiness belonging passion and purpose to name a few will be most thoroughly understood and effectively engaged with if you read Lovable First. Like all good things, I think it will be worth the wait. When we walked in the door and saw the bag of library books, my kids squealed with delight. What if the whole universe is squealing with delight about you? God knitted himself into us, and they say he also exists outside of us in a form too magnificent and mysterious to completely comprehend. I sometimes wonder what it's like when God, Like my kids, upon discovery of their books, looks upon the lovable people he created. I wonder what it's like when he squeals with delight. I wonder if that's another reason for the rainbow. I wonder if that's the reason for tulips in the springtime and gentle rain in the summertime and autumn's dying brilliance. I wonder if that's the reason for the feel of a newborn skin and the crackle of flames in the fireplace and snow days and blessings and miracles and inexplicable joy. I wonder if all of it is God squealing with delight about who we are. Friend, you may feel like a mess, and your life might look like a mess, but you are also already the lovable person you've always been and the lovable person you are already becoming. All of creation squeals with delight about your truest identity. May you, someday soon, delight as well. Recognize who you are, reveal yourself, and resurrect your truest you, one blessed week at a time. All right, that's the end of the introduction to the year of listening, loving, and living. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Next week in episode two, we will jump right into week one, which is entitled, Doing is the Enemy of Becoming. If you're interested in continuing to walk with us this year, there are two ways you can be intentional about doing so. First, you can go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast there. Of course, while you're there, feel free to leave a review if you're inclined to do so. Uh, And second, I'd recommend this. You can also go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's D-R-K-E-L-L-Y-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N.com and subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's free. You'll get it once a week and it will include my blog posts, a link to each weekly podcast, um, as well as a reminder so you can join our Facebook Live recordings. Uh, For the most part, those will be happening every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Chicago time but there may be occasional changes to that due to things like holidays and my travel schedule and other unpredictable mess. So I will keep you posted through my weekly email. So go there to drkellyflanagan.com, find in the right sidebar the sign-up form, and uh, go ahead and and, uh, sign yourself up. Uh, We'd love to have you on board. Finally, if you have not read Lovable, but you'd like to do so before continuing with this podcast, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com where you can find out more about it and where you'll find links to order it. It's available in paperback, digital, and audio, and wherever books are sold, so you shouldn't have too much trouble getting a copy. I think that concludes our first episode. I look forward to jumping in with you next week, and until then, remember, you are lovable. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, It is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made, from her album, Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable.